Hello and welcome to How to Win the Lottery Season 7 graphic content. Our first interview this season, we have with us today the, is it artist, illustrator? What is it? What's your preferred title for this book? I guess it would be uh, Storyteller, maybe. Ooh, I like that storyteller. Marcos Martin. Hello, Marcos. Hello. How are you? Good. So we were just talking before we started recording that you were apologizing for your accent. And I was like, no, no, no. We talked about this via email. Your English is phenomenal. I went to (laughs) Barcelona last year for two weeks, and I studied Spanish on Duolingo for a year. And the first night I was there, I was at a restaurant looking at a menu, and I'm like trying to read it. I'm using Google Translate, the Lens app, and the guy's just like, "Do you want an English menu?" I was like, "Yes, please." (laughs) Like I tried so long for so you know so hard for so long to like you know not be that kind of American who like goes places and just like only speaks English, and then like immediately they're just like, "Here you go, my guy. You just here's here's the here's the English menu for you." I'm like, "All right, thank you." You you did the right thing because we appreciate more the the people who actually make the efforts yeah i did try and i love barcelona it was great but i just felt the bet i'm like i'm like sir i i need you to know that i really i tried i tried for so long but your english is so much better than my spanish i mean obviously because my spanish is not good no bueno but again so thank you so much don't worry about it all and we're thrilled to have you here thank you very much i'm happy to be here So this is our first season doing graphic novels at all. It's a thing that we have been, um, we've both been reading most of our, all of our lives, but it's the first time we're ever covering for the podcast. And it's, it's so radically different that we're like, oh, there's a whole other element because we almost like sometimes forget to talk about the art, which is like, that's like half the thing we're doing here. But, um, so this is going to be a new type of interview. So we're thrilled to have you here to talk about, uh, the private eye. Well, we'll see how that goes. Maybe I'm the, the last artist you have. (laughs) <laughs> I hope not. I, I mean, it is it is going like my fear is that because we've never interviewed an artist before that the like we're going to ask you like basic questions that you've answered a million times already before. So I well, I, I use a pencil and pen and paper. So that's OK, you're not you're not you're not a digital guy. You're not doing it on the on the iPad or whatever. Not really, no. Uh, I'm, I well, I always say that I'm too old for that, but it's really I'm too clumsy, I guess. Uh, well, also, if you if, if you've been drawing a certain way for decades, like wh- why are you gonna start? Why are you gonna do something new now, right? That's, uh, that's what I'm saying. It take it took me so long to learn how to more or less ink, you know, with with uh, pen and brushes that that you know, going back right now and, and starting again with. Uh, with the digital process, it's just too much for me. I do also, I have like, uh, you know, I'm not an, an artist, but I like, I have a very, uh, and, and this is thematic, maybe a little bit thematic, but I have like a Luddite's point of view on like when I see, uh, like on Instagram, th- they do like, like you see like digital, uh, uh, like people showing their art digitally, like where they go through it. And, and maybe it's because it's sped up and it looks so fast, but I like, in my brain, I am kind of like, you are cheating. This is cheating. It doesn't count. <laughs> well, if uh, it depends. Maybe they're really fast. Uh, I've seen people who are really fast drawing. It's, it's not my case. It's, I am uh, exactly the opposite. If you were to take me drawing, you would die. Out of the <laughs> you, you never do like things at, at like comic-con or whatever where you'll you'll like do quick sketches for people and stuff like that i, I always every time that i do a signing i always do a, a quick sketch but quick sketch for me is usually 
uh, 10 minutes. So. <laughs> so, so you've got like a very long line with people at the back going like, what's going on up there? I have a very short line that takes a long time to get through. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. <laughs> Uh, so I, I guess the first question, this is something that we talked about on our episode, and I'm sure it's like one of the very first questions you always get about this book, but the actual presentation of the private eye, instead of being like the more portrait, it's the landscape thing, and it looks different, it feels different, it turns different, it reads different. How did that come about? Was that a choice that you made? Was that a choice that you all collectively made? Like, where did that come from? Was that always the intention or did you start drawing and you were just like, this is how it's meant to be? Well, the story goes that... Uh when it was not uh our first intention it wasn't certainly it wasn't brian's intention when he first called me and told me about the project and uh, we agreed to to work on it uh but at the time i'm talking 2011 now so 12 mm -hmm. years ago and uh i had been thinking for a long time on trying to find new ways of uh distributing uh, comic books and uh, I it always uh, seemed to me that the mm, unexplored option at the time was uh, uh, through the internet uh, which it had been done but not in the way that I thought that could be done in, in, uh, so that it would be profitable for both the, the authors and the readers so basically my idea was to um, to do a comic book that uh, we would present uh, in a website and uh, present it in a way that could be downloaded by the reader uh, through a pay-what-you-want uh, model. So you can download it for free if you want, or you can pay if you if you if you choose to. And uh, also that it w you would be able to download it directly into your uh, into your computer. So mm -hmm. at the time was really uh, not the, the, the common uh, system because it worked. It was, uh, our system is DRM free. DRM is, is, the, yep. is the term that's used, right? For, the, for actually just, you, you kind of, you, uh, you rent your comic. You don't really buy it and own it. You, you rent it and it's stored somewhere in the cloud. So if the store where you bought it from uh, closes down and closes down the server, you actually you will lose your comic book. So my idea was that you would own that that comic book, that download, so you would actually have a file on your computer if you wanted to. Back to your question, <laughs> in order to for that to for the reader to understand that it was a comic book that was uh, made for a digital presentation at the time when iPads weren't as popular. I think I think they, they had already come out. I, I'm not sure, uh, but they weren't as popular. I was always thinking about computers. Mm -hmm. uh, my idea was to do it in a widescreen format. Cool. Very yeah, cool. That's where the format comes in. But that didn't come about until uh, we were... Brian had already written the first issue and thinking that it was going to be a normal 24, 22 comic book, pay, uh, comic book for uh, actually for image at the time. And it wasn't until he had finished that first script that I came to him with my crazy idea of, you know, 
putting it out digitally through a website that we would create uh, with this crazy pay what you want model and uh, I thought he would say he would say he did say that I was crazy (laughs) we both I I read the emails in the back of the in the the back of the book yeah (laughs) that was more or less the process exactly and uh, but he he being pretty much as crazy as I am he agreed to do it so then we went along with that and we had to change the approach to the to the work in order to fit it into this uh, new widescreen format, you know, where where the pages, it's really a landscape. Was there any, like, uh, uh, adjustment to sort of muscle memory? Because I imagine over over years of of, uh, the, the, like, traditional comic book format of, like, even, like, the nine-panel grids or whatever, uh, uh, like, switching to this new thing, is is there, like, you have to rethink the the way your brain, like, processes the, the images? Absolutely, yes, and it and it was hard at the beginning. There's there's a lot of of of, of stuff that I I look at it and it really doesn't work. But uh, but we were trying to adjust, and Brian was trying to adjust too because it, w- it was difficult for him to to think. The our advantage was that since we were putting it out ourselves and there was no limit to the page count, uh, I could uh, distribute the information. That was given to me through the script in in different ways so i didn't have i didn't have to worry about fitting everything into that uh 24 22 page count that's uh, you know the standard format for uh, for publishers uh so that meant that i could play around with the elements with information uh, uh build the pages in different ways than the, the Maybe what what Brian had in mind when he wrote the script, uh, but still it took it took a long time for both of us to to adjust. I, I don't think we really got a, a hang of it until maybe our next project, which was uh, Barrier. So now, when when you you're successful, you put this out yourself. You know, people can pay what they want. You have it all to the people, and then Image is like, we're going to collect this and put this out as a hardcover book, like this beautiful you know hardbound book. Yeah. Did your did that cause headaches in terms of like adapting it or releasing it because it's like it's it's such a different form format than it normally is or was that just they're like we know what it looks like and we're going to make a way we're going to make it work. It was easier than I thought. I thought it would be okay. more complicated, but but uh, I mean it it was really much more expensive to to print because uh but i mean it wasn't the landscape format it wasn't it's not something new i mean uh frank miller did it with 300 for example so it, but it was always with the same uh size as the regular comic book you just flip it mm-hmm. but but our format was different because the size was really the size of a of a screen of a computer screen because it, it, I made it in order for it to fit exactly with a with a computer screen and computer screens. Even though when you look, I thought they were you know more square than they actually are. They are really <laughs> they are really really widescreen. And so it turned out that it was it was uh, much more expensive to do that because you you cannot use the same. Uh, the paper in the same way. So you lose a lot of paper when printing the book. 
and and it was a it was a very it's a it's a very heavy book it's like 320 pages so it, it was it's an expensive book yeah, to make so that was that was a little bit of, of a of a problem but you know but uh, image didn't seem to have you know any any trouble with it that's good there there is something grand about the almost paradox of this like because it, it, it's a paradox to start off with because the book it's like a book about an internetless society that you're publishing exclusively on the internet and it's a pay what you want model. And then to like flip that for like, I guess, quote unquote, more traditional readers, then it turns into this, this print thing that is like, uh, and this is not a complaint. I, I, I bought and I'm happy to have the, the, uh, hardcover of it to like a quite expensive book. So it's like, you're, you're, you're like balancing between these two worlds in this parodic, oxymoronic kind of way that's like i i, I thought that that was a real um... yeah it, it was a little bit of uh, that was a little bit of serendipity at the beginning because my idea of of doing a, a comic book through the internet was uh, uh had nothing to do with brian's idea they, they were like simultaneous but okay. independent from each other so the fact that they came together uh in this particular project was really it was a strange coincidence. Uh, yeah, it's always there's always kind of a miracle when form matches content in such a in such a yeah. perfect way. <laughs> yeah, and 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 printing it afterwards was uh, was a little bit of a, we did, we never had the plan of printing it. We thought we would never print it. That was the original plan. Uh, but by the time we finished it, Image had been insisting for a long time, and uh, we had said no. But uh, the opportunity came for us to do uh, a Walking Dead story in Panel mm. Syndicate in exchange for the rights to publish uh, The Private Eye at Image. And we thought that that was uh, too good of an opportunity, you know, for, the, for more people to learn about the website and about the projects that we had there uh, for us to, to pass on that. So we agreed to, to, to publish it, and in turn, we had a, a walking that special on, on Panel Syndicate, a digital special that, that stayed digital for years before uh, Kirkland actually actually printed it. So, so, but a lot of people weren't happy because <laughs> we, we had said that we, we would never print it, and we did print oh. it. So that was a little bit of a... Yeah, but you're you're always gonna that those kind of people are always gonna be upset about something, right? It's like you said this, it's just like, well, you know, things change. Also, yeah, it's like there, yeah. Th- there's an irony to it that that works in a, in a way, you know? Yeah, I think I, what did I I thought about the name for the for the hardcover? Uh, it was like the the Cloudburst edition. Mm-hmm. Because okay. in the in the comic book, the Cloudburst is the term to which they refer to the internet shutting down. Yep. Uh, so this is actually, you know, uh, the hardcover is actually the the, the private eye uh, edition in a, in a, in an internetless world. Yeah. So, so now, if there's a solar flare or something, you're still safe. You still have your 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 hardcover copy on your exactly. shelf. There. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a question that I had for you that we you know we talked a lot in our episode about how it's a futuristic society. It's still based on our current one, and like all of this obsolete technology or this technology that we know today becomes obsolete. Like one of my favorite things was when they have to like 
when the grandfather has to figure out a way to like connect the Zune because I just love the, the idea of the Zune. Um, yeah. But there's still things like in the background, like I saw like a sign for Tesla, like there's still some things that exist that persist through, you know, the cloudburst and just like are still, you know, around in the future. Yeah. Was there a way that you determined or was that just kind of like fun stuff? Like, did you think about like what could survive, what would survive the internet crashing and like what could still be around or do you just have some fun like putting things in the background? No, no, mostly it was thing, things that uh, we had to, some of them were Brian, some of them were mine. Like the Zoom idea was totally Brian because I didn't even know what a Zoom was. <laughs> no, well, no, what, few no one knows what the Zoom yeah. is. Yeah, I and there were a lot of of uh, Zoom fans. I found out afterwards because uh, some people were really excited about. We it. are few, but yeah. we are mighty. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so yes, and some of the other stuff, like the Tesla thing, the Kodak thing, and you know, there were things that I thought that you know I was thinking about stuff that would be around in that around that time. The Kodak sign, for example, was something that uh, I thought was especially funny because. I think when I drew it, the company had actually just uh, announced <laughs> that they were shutting down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, in the, uh, my future, you're you know, you're still going on strong." So I had well, to like I think I think through. since you drew that though, like somebody bought the brand, and they're like relaunching as this kind of like niche thing. So like Kodak's never going to really die, like, even though Kodak died, they're still always going to be around. So doesn't does Kodak still make all the movie film? I thought that they I, I, don't, I thought they were still going in some way. I don't know. I don't even know if there's a movie film anymore. I don't, I don't... Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like Christopher Nolan's like personal stash and like that's yeah, it, right? yeah, yeah, slowly going away. Another thing I noticed, and I I don't have the vocabulary to really describe this in a way that you know, makes me sound smart at all. So I'm going to apologize in advance to you and to anybody <laughs> listening. But one thing that we talked about in the episode was the way this comic looks, the, the book looks, reminds me of like classic superhero comics, like with the bold primary colors. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, I think that that kind of, we talked a little bit about how that that suggests to your brain, like it's a certain type of story where there's going to be like people with powers or abilities or whatever. And, you know, there's some technology that doesn't exist but like for the most part like there's a very grounded realistic story how did that come about in terms of the way that it looks versus the way that it sort of plays out was there an irony there is just like these are the colors that you wanted to look for and like i'm not exactly sure the question i'm asking because i just don't have the the illustrative (laughs) vocabulary to ask but it looks a certain way but it feels a different way i think i think i understand i think it did a good job i think not we'll see thank you hopefully fingers crossed (laughs) so uh, part of it is Actually, it's the fact that it looks a little bit like a like a superhero comic book is really is because of my my art style, my drawing style, which mm-hmm. is a little bit uh, it it comes from from a superhero tradition, and uh, but I'm a little bit uh, my references in that uh, area are what people would consider old fashioned now, so. Uh, People from the from the sixties, seventies, and eighties would be my 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 actual uh, the my actual uh, artistic reference for 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 my drawing style. So that's probably what 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 brings that about. Yeah. And and but when you talk about the color choice, well, the color choice has um, has to do with with Munsa's, uh idea of color and. Uh, and we thought about this future as being, you know, really bright. And so we, we wanted to, 
precisely because it was a noir, it was part of a noir genre, uh, we wanted to kind of drift away from what the usual look for that mm, type mm -hmm. of story would be. Uh, you know, the dark colors and the, and the more monochromatic palette. So, and we instead decided to, you know, that it would have really bright colors all around. Uh, I wanted, for example, the skies to be purple at night, you know, um, stuff like that. So, so that ended up uh, uh, with really, with a very wide range of, of bright colors all around that I think, I think fit the story well. Also, because even though it's, uh, it could have easily, we could have easily based it more on a, on a 50s, 40s and 50s kind of, uh, of detective story. Uh, I thought that it was better to give it a more of an 80s approach. So, so that's also a little bit where the inspiration for the, for the whole visual look of it, both in, in terms of, uh, of style, of drawing style and coloring style comes from. I love it. Yeah, now that you mention it, there is like a kind of Ditko lankiness to the to the uh, to the protagonist of, of the story. Um, and we talked a little bit about like Chinatown and, and other noirs like that, where it's like traditionally, you know, there is like a dark force trying to control a major resource, uh -huh. and things like that. And, and so like that that bleeds into this. But then the, the visual style of it being so bright um really like drives it away from those those traditional noirs i think i want to say this is probably mentioned in the in the letters uh between you and brian at the end but there's like a conscious effort to move away from like blade runner right i was a i was afraid that it would that it would that people would make too much of a comparison between between the story and blade runner mm -hmm. so but it was uh, i think it was a little bit inevitable the moment that i decided that it would you know uh, have this kind of 80s look uh, and it was set in LA I, I knew it was going to be hard and it's and I think there are things that are just uh, similar not because uh, I consciously you know took away from the movie but they're just there because they're just kind of the logical right. you know way to go yeah I don't I, I don't think I mean Blade Runner isn't I, didn't I don't know how much it entered my mind when, when like other than it felt it feel it feels different from Blade Runner. I I I mentioned Blade Runner specifically because I think it's it's like different enough from that to to for it to not feel. For me, it's different in the sense that Blade Runner really is kind of uh, grim and bleak. For sure, yes, and, absolutely. Uh, and ours was kind of cleaner, and because it's not supposed to be, even though people some people call it a dystopia, to us it was almost more of like a utopia you know a place so it's kind of this kind of weird mixture between both but but we didn't want the people to think that just because there's no inter internet the world is a is a worse place now so, sure, yeah. uh, so part of the reason you know why the colors are so bright and it's such a you know a clean you know neat world is is because we wanted to you know, move away from that from that sense of it being like a like a, a dystopian world 
No, and that's something we talked about too, because in, in most things, like we did an entire module of this podcast about uh, books around the internet. And so we talked a lot about technology in that season and social media and so on and so forth. And in most things in terms of tech, I'm I'm more of a, an optimist and, and Bob over here is more of a pessimist and just, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a nice dichotomy. It works for the podcast. But we talked about whether this book was optimistic or pessimistic. I think you kind of cover sort of both angles. And then sort of coincidentally, also the season we're doing, or we did The Seeds by Anne Nascenti. And that's also about a society where like half the people have been like, we don't want the internet. We're going back to the olden days. And it was like, it was, you know, very interesting to us to sort of compare and contrast pessimism, optimism about a future that is both very similar and very different from ours. And I'm wondering if that was a conversation you guys had about like, whether you see things without like a time without the internet as a good thing or a bad thing, or just it depends on what you make of it. Well, also, right before you, before you answer also, it, it just the comparison for the seeds too, like the, the stark difference between your world of that versus David Aha's world of that is like wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have very different styles, I think. Yeah. yeah so, and he did go for a completely monochromatic uh, mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, but definitely that's a conversation we had and, uh, and we very consciously didn't want to, uh, to give, either point of view, you know, the advantage because uh, we, did, we didn't want to, we didn't want to position ourselves, you know, on one side or another, because there's obvious uh, advantages and disadvantages to both worlds, uh, the, the world without the internet, uh, without social media, and with it. So, and Brian was, I think, tried hard for, uh, for all, uh, both point of views to be presented in a way that would be, you know, understandable and relatable uh, for the reader. So you could sure. go uh, at any, you know, point you could go like, yeah, it, you know, it's kind of, maybe it's better that, you know, this world without the internet. And some, at some points we were like, you know, this is kind of, this is not working. You know, we were doing better with, with the internet. So you have different characters defending mm-hmm. each point of view. There is something very satisfying about reading it and being like, ah, he's on my side, and then and then like a couple pages later later being like, wait, I don't I don't agree with that part at all. So that that's like I love I love getting you know worked back and forth like that when when reading something. Yeah, we don't want to we didn't want the, the the book to be a presentation of our ideas, rather, mm-hmm. but more of a. a, a a reflection, uh, not a reflection. Um, we wanted people to, to think about those ideas because we don't even know. So, so it was really, it was more a way for us to, to think about, uh, about those ideas. So, and, and present it to the reader in a way that they would think about them too, without really having a clear idea ourselves about, uh, you know, a clear opinion about uh, either. Yeah, no, I, that's my, I guess my preferred mode of storytelling. Cause it's not like, um, uh, you're pre- presenting it like a, such a complex idea that to have like one opinion on it would be a disservice to the the complexity. Yeah, of it. Brian is I think is usually in all his stories very worried about you know presenting uh, his point of view uh, of the yeah. world uh, through his stories or his through his characters because there's a real risk of uh, 
coming across as preachy. So, so, and I think he's always really very careful about that to the point where I think sometimes he's even been accused of having ideas which are actually the opposite of of, of the ideas (laughs) he has. Yeah. He's so great, though. Let's let's just have a, a, a moment of a moment of praise for, for Brian K. Vaughan. He's truly like one of the one of the guys that's really doing it out there. Yeah, no, I hate him. No, he's a <laughs> did you? So you guys did that Doctor Strange book together. Did you when did you know him before that? Were you like, I don't know how like, you know, collaborations work in the comics industry. Like, were you you know friendly before that or did you get paired up or how did that how did your relationship with him begin? Oh, <laughs> I've I've told this story so many times that I, I have the feeling that everybody knows about this, but, but I don't know anything about anything, Marcos. I am very dumb and illiterate. No, no, I'm happy to to tell you this this very very simple story about how we met. Um, we were both living in New York City back in 1999, and we got we were both starting, and we got paired together on a short story for a Batman uh, series, uh, Gotham uh, City Secret Files. It was like a six-page story, or eight-page story. And so, and we were both like really young and uh, and starting out. And so we met at the editor's uh, office. And as we were uh, walking out, uh, it turned out that we were neighbors. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Yeah, I was living in Christopher Street, and he was living just, I think, on on West End or something. So it was just like a block away. So uh, that allowed us to to get together uh, through the course of you know of of uh, working on this short eight page story. And uh, by the time I went back to to Barcelona, uh, we stayed uh, friends and we stayed in touch. And we tried to to work together again on a few projects before we finally were able to make it happen uh, with the Doctor Strange story mm-hmm. and uh, at Marvel. Very cool. So, and that's the story. Very simple. Yeah, but we had, we had been friends for 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 years for before we actually got to, got to work on Doctor Strange. That's so cool. Yeah. Um. Uh, another question about the private eye. So one thing that I love in movies or TV shows sometimes. It's mostly movies, sometimes TV shows, depending on how they're told to do it too. But I love a delayed title card, like where you're like an hour into a movie, like it's a three hour long movie, then all of a sudden the title card drops, you're like, oh, here we go, like the movie's starting. (laughs) And I think one thing that's very cool about The Private Eye is that, you know, the title page comes at any point. Like I think there's at least one issue that like the last page is the title page. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's, you know, if if you like that about movies too, if like where the idea came to like drop the title, because people know what book they're reading, but yeah, it's just it, you you do it so effectively, and I'm wondering what the thought process was there, and if you also have the same kind of like fascination with movies that I do, just like oh, where's it going to come? <laughs> yeah, I I mean I do like that, and it's it's very cinematic, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. very cinematic idea and concept to 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 really use in a comic book, and uh, I just since it's uh, the private eye is episodic because it was it. it was released as single issues mm-hmm. uh, and and so it, it really when you read it all together it's kind of weird to to keep seeing you know every 30 pages seeing the title and the credits but uh but uh, it made sense as, as single issues to to you know remind the reader about the about the title 
and I just, I, yeah, I just like it. It's just like a, it's like a punctuation, I guess, at some point of the story. It's like, uh, I don't know. It, it's a very, it's difficult to explain. It's just, I just, it just, it just when it feels right. Yeah, it's exactly when it felt right, and uh, that's something that Brian, I think, always left to me to decide. So, to the point where I think on one chapter, on chapter six, on chapter six, I actually made the probably the biggest change to to any of the scripts when I moved a scene around, because originally this is the chapter. Uh, where the, the the inspector, the well, inspector, the, the journalist actually uh, gets shot at the hospital, uh, and and they kidnap uh, Mel, and they go away with a with a it ends in the in an elevator with them going down, and one of the one of the bad guys uh, has been killed. This originally ended at that, at that in that particular scene. But I felt like uh, then we had the the scene that went before that scene was the scene where they go through LA and they find the the wall that that you know the big wall that stops the the ocean mm-hmm. from coming in, and then they go they get to this guy's house and they find the doll and then the, the other guys arrive and then we move to the hospital. And then the whole thing, the whole scene at the hospital happens, and you end with the with the with the scene at the elevator. And it just felt to me that it worked better if we split the scene where they arrive at the at the wall. We split it in two, and before they arrive to that guy's house, we went to the hospital. And then after the guy gets shot at the hospital, then we go back, and we go back to to the main characters. Who are finally arriving at the house? So we end with with uh, with Ravina and the shotgun, you know, waiting for them. Yeah. And so and but I had the credit page uh, at, at the last page of the hospital scene because that's where it originally had to end. So it did feel like it could end there, but then you had like a sort of epilogue. Very cool. Yeah. So and and that's one of the you know that's that particular issue we had the credits there and sometimes it was at the beginning sometimes it was right at the, the last page it depended really on on what it felt to me what it felt right it really works as something as like an interruptive force yeah. to it we like to to create tension or to break tension or to like uh, I don't know introduce the action in a new way it's really yeah. like one of the it's, things that individual medium works like. It's difficult for me to, to explain. It's just it's something that I felt worked. It, it really is a moment where you have to pause for, for a moment because it, it's it's an element that it's not part of the story, really. So it, it makes you stop for a moment and, you know, kind of... of and it, but it's really very cinematic also. So I, I don't know. It, it's obviously it's a, it's a very... It's, a, it's an influence from movies, I think. For sure. I don't know if this is a fair question. I don't even know if it's one you could answer because, again, we've we've never talked to I think an artist like this on here. But is there a particular panel or splash page or cover page or something that's like one of your favorite things that you drew? Like, is there a particular you know thing that you created for this book that's your favorite? Um, 
And maybe they're all your babies, and it's it's, it's an impossible question. I don't I don't know. No, I actually no, I hate most of my work. So <laughs> the problem is to find something that I like. Mm. Um, I would say probably my my favorite piece of of art for uh, is it would be the cover to issue one, which is the cover to the to the hardcover. Oh, oh yeah, okay. mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's like yeah, that's there's uh, in, in the traditional sense of the word iconic. Yeah. Yeah, I felt that because it, I think it basically because it works as an image. I think it works mm-hmm. as a cover, as, a, as something, you know, that, that striking enough to draw the eye to the cover, but still has all the elements to explain more or less, you know, what you're going to you know, find inside. You know, you have the main character in a mysterious way and all these people dressed up as it. So it's kind of it, it's not spelling it out. But it gives you enough information so that when you open the book, you're kind of like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I love the cover of the grandfather flipping the reader off. I mean, that's <laughs> very cool. I like that, too. I like that, too. But uh, but I have problems with my art, so <laughs> <laughs> I prefer this one. Um, I'll go back to something that you said earlier, and, and maybe you can use it as an opportunity to talk about your uh, collaborations with Monza. Uh and and that's uh, when you were talking about it being um, utopian, uh, at, whereas some people would think of it as being dystopian. I think a lot of the, um, you know, the masks and things like that. Everyone's wearing the masks, and when you're walking around the street, people are wearing the masks. And it reminds me, like specifically, of like Disney World, almost in a way that you you have just people in essentially in costume walking around, creating this like larger than life's ide- identities for themselves. And I just imagine. Um, how fun that is to draw and how fun that is to color right because it, it feels it feels like an opportunity for for you to just do like whatever create this like non-context mask that you always wanted to draw or this you know this opportunity to use incredibly bright colors and in, in in contrast in ways that they wouldn't normally be used is, th- is that the case because i got the sense that it was really fun making that <laughs> it was a nightmare it was, oh! <laughs> it was an absolute nightmare <laughs> I mean, it was. I think the 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 worst part about it was trying to figure it out at the beginning because because the first time Brian told me about the story about the concept, I just I couldn't understand it. I was like, yeah. "What do you mean people are running around, you know, in masks and costumes? <laughs> like, is this like a carnival? This is like, you know?" Uh, and I could only imagine people, you know, dressed up like clowns and right. firemen, and I was like uh, cowboys. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. This is just, you know, it's going to look stupid. Until at some point, you know, it clicked to me and and it was like, oh, this is fashion. This is, I, I don't have to think about it as as, as costumes, you know, as, as carnival costumes, you know, as, as uh, but rather as just uh, uh, this road that fashion has taken, you know. And actually, when you start digging into it and, and and looking into the fashion world, there's just crazy things going on and outfits and stuff that I could just, you know, uh, I, I was pulling from here and there from everywhere, actually, to come up with, with designs that, that would work. And, uh, but it was, and it was, yeah, it was, I mean, it was kind of fun. And I have tons of, of reference <laughs> to, to, you know, <laughs> I, I could probably make another book with all the, all the stuff that I didn't put in. But uh, or just design a fashion show, create like get get those people <laughs> up on a runway, get them no, out there. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I think, most of them were 
too much of a rip up from actual things that I, I don't think they, they would be original enough. Oh, I see. But it, I but see. it was fun. It was fun to to draw, and I had like ideas that that I thought like there's some things that are in the background that make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there are this one panel, the big panel where when you first see the street with all the people in costume walking. Uh, this this guy with uh, or a couple of guys with with this big kind of Mickey Mouse masks. They're not mm-hmm. really Mickey Mouse because we don't want to get sued. But uh, <laughs> and they're like they they are uh, kicking the shit out of someone. And I just figured that this would be you know kind of like a an LA gang of, of Mickey Mouse uh, gangsters or something who would you know run around uh, kind of like a of this world's version of. Um, of the Clockwork Orange. I was yeah. When you were saying that, I was thinking that, or I was thinking of uh, uh, the Warriors, the Walter Hill film. I haven't seen that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's the same. It's like gangs that have like sort of established their personalities on costume and thing, which is it's really? like it's like the real world, but like you know, just exaggerated. Okay. okay. Right. In- <laughs> instead of like just wearing you know colors, they they'll wear like you know a baseball uniform, and now they're like a, ba- a gang of baseball guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was see, that was my fear at the beginning when Brian told me the story. Like, like people would you know, just be dressed as uh, you know with a baseball uniform, and the other one would yeah, be a yeah. clown, and the other one would be. Uh, so 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 yeah, that that uh, fortunately, I think I I found a way to 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 transform that into something else. Yeah, for sure. For sure. One thing we like to ask everyone that we interview for this podcast is if people have read The Private Eye and they love it and they want more, do you have recommendations for either other books or movies or any kind of media that you would recommend people go? Because, you know, Bob over here programs all our modules around a certain theme. So this, you know, it's it's kind of broadly just graphic novels because we've never done that before. But, you know, in the past we've done, you know, books set at schools or books set, you know, about the internet or whatever. So, you know, thematically or stylistically or whatever, if people love this and they've read this and they want to go more, what would you recommend in terms of things that either you personally love or that are similar that you drew inspiration from or anything? I would recommend everything that I've done. I would, <laughs> <laughs> I would say just go out and that's buy a great answer. all my stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, it, thematically, uh, there's a uh, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that I mean and it, and it's so broad in 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 what it talks about that you could go from here yeah, the clockwork clockwork orange to mm-hmm. uh, anything Blade Runner or so it's uh, so yeah I would stick to to just get our books you know go cool. by Barrier which is by the same team or Friday which I'm doing now with with that Brubaker and <laughs> see if that if you like that well that's actually so so for sure yeah. Do you, your answer kind of, you know, it, it made me realize something when you're, when you're looking for inspiration for a new book, like, do you mostly draw inspiration from like movies or from other books? It seems like what you're, you're referencing most common is just, you know, a different medium altogether. Like, are you, where do you typically find inspiration for your art from? Or is it just sort of from wherever? I, uh, it depends. I, I, um, I always I always think of the story first, so uh, whenever the writer, you know, tells me the story, what they want to talk about, the concept, that will take me different places. Mm -hmm. 
where I will with with private eye it was uh, you know it was certain places it was mm, movies or uh, you know the 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 80s looks it it was also manga um, manga was a, was a huge influence for me for example for creating the character because uh, Brian had a, a completely different uh, idea in mind for a character where he would be more he was almost like a uh, spirit, like the spirit uh, mm. kind of character, with the trench coat and the and the and the hat. It was kind of like a fifties guy, and I wanted to 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 move away from that, you know, and take it more to a to a more modern sensibilities, I guess. So I I, I went to manga, and that's when when I thought about the idea of the of the mask at the back of the of the hood. You know, I thought it was kind of like a very Japanese idea. I don't know yeah. why. So kind of crazy. Did you feel like when 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 you drew that, were you like, I nailed it? Because <laughs> because <laughs> it really is. It, it's like it's a great it's a great image, and it's a great it's great to like, you know, it's a as as the first cover. It's something that introduces you to, to that in in such a beautiful way. Like, and I know that you said that you're you you get down on your own art sometimes, but I you, you had to have felt like you nailed that, right? You know what. I think it's one of the few instances where I, I really was like, I think I got it. All right, <laughs> good. Was, I'm glad. I, Sweet, I think yeah. I distinctly remember uh, <laughs> sketching the character and you know going through different you know uh, iterations of it, and suddenly the the idea came to me. I was like, what if it's you know if it's on the back of the hood, if it's a hood, and it and it would have like a smiling face, and then I thought about the. Because I knew the, the the trench coat disappeared, and I thought, well, if the if we have a smiling face in the back and it disappears, but the 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 smiling the smile remains there with the eyes, that would be kind of a cool visual, like a the Cheshire cat or something. You should you you should like I don't, I don't know how expensive this would be, or maybe you already have it done. You should get one of those made for yourself, and and then you can wear it around. Oh, I have plenty of them. Oh, I you go, do? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. I, I go all over the city, you know, in my invisible cloak, cloak <laughs> <laughs> with a shishiring smile on my back. <laughs> I love it. Um, the other thing, and this is, again, maybe a little bit thematic to, to what we're talking about, is like as a, a, a source, because we're like, we can be a, a quote unquote <laughs> source now, um, <laughs> like we have the ability to edit Wikipedia and, yeah. and then and then use this as, as like... Uh, like the little footnote. So is there anything that you would like to lie about yourself that we can then put on Wikipedia as misinformation to trick people into thinking about you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm uh, six uh, feet tall mm -hmm. and have a full set of hair. Okay. Mm. You know, you're not the first person to want to lie about your height. Well, so yeah. So our mutual friend, Heather Antos, who says hi, by the way, uh, oh. Also wanted her. Also wanted us to lie about her height, but she wants to be shorter. Yeah. So oh, we, really? <laughs> yeah, she's she's tired of being a taller woman. She wants to be a little bit shorter, and so you know the inches that we steal from her, we can give to you. How's that sound? That sounds perfect to me. <laughs> I, I also I hate her because <laughs> <laughs> I know. So do we? Isn't she the worst? <laughs> she's the worst. She's got hair and she's tall. Give me. A Ugh. So talented just makes me angry. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much, Marcos. This has been wonderful. Uh, we really appreciate your time, and this was a blast. Thank you. It has been uh, great fun. I hope you know you, I made some sense. Yeah, some for sure. Point.
Um, I look. I, I certainly look forward to picking up Friday. That's uh, uh, you know, and and anything else. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to promote, or anything that you have that coming out that other, we should, other we than know about? all of your books? Yeah. All of my books all of <laughs> have been out. But no, basically now I'm just uh, I'm uh, finishing up the last chapter of Friday. So uh, if you want to support us with that, that's great. It's uh, over at Panel Syndicate, or uh, it's also in print. Uh, at Image Comics, the first two two books with the with the first six issues. So, uh, yep, that's it. Oh wait, one other very important question. We play a little oh. fast and loose with copyright here, and we can if you if you want your the exit music on this episode to be anything either that uh, just a song you love or a song that you know reminds you of the Private Eye or that might go long go along well with it. Is there a particular song you want to use as the outro to this episode? Uh, let me think because we actually we made a. a a mixtape for uh, oh. of the private eye for uh, for a website for Multiversity Comics at one point. I mean, I know, I know. For example, you had the that there's like a very clear drawing of the uh, Mark Oliver Everett album, uh, yes. uh, in there, and and <laughs> there's things there's things like that throughout the the book. So, you know, I I, I could see a, a soundtrack getting constructed just from like what's in the background and, and what vinyls they have and things like that. Yeah, I think on, on our mixtape, we definitely had uh, a song by the Eels. We had a song by Radiohead. We had a, a song, uh, uh, Kings of Leon was in there. A couple of less known Scottish bands that I like. Oh, I, I, th- I think I found the list. You've got uh, songs from Arcade Fire, Arcade the Divine Fire. Comedy... Yes. Pulp, Snow yes. Patrol, yes. uh, Morrissey. The yes. Radiohead song was Fake Plastic Trees. You got Kings of Leon, Bright right. Eyes, Madonna. Madonna we had because we she she's in the in the story. So That's maybe a, maybe we'll end this episode with Material Girl because she is the Material Girl. And that's the one on the split, apparently. That's that's perfect. I mean, it's uh, definitely shows my age. And Madonna has come up a lot in conversation between me and Bob yeah. recently, so oh, well, material girl herself. <laughs> there you go. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Marcus. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. 